We're going to uh, come to our Bible reading this morning, and we're going to turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, very well-known verses, um, the visit to Mary by the angel Gabriel, Luke chapter 1, and I'll be beginning in verse 26. When you look at the early uh, pages in Luke's gospel, you'll find what he does, in a sense, he weaves together two, two stories the stories, there's two announcements and there's two birth stories to one of John the Baptist and one of Jesus. Both, in a sense, are miraculous. John's, as you know, John the Baptist, uh, born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were, in a sense, well past it at their age. There's that element of miracle there, but a natural birth. When we come to Jesus' birth, it's something in a, a totally different league. Uh, it's completely supernatural in terms of his conception. And we have these stories interwoven and in the first few verses, Gabriel goes to Zechariah and Elizabeth and tells them they're going to be having a child, the forerunner to the Messiah, who's going to go and prepare the way. And um, we are now, it says in verse 26, in the sixth month. So that seems to be falling on six months into... Elizabeth's pregnancy. This is where we're at. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with a child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I just wonder what was going through Mary's mind. Uh, we're not told. You can imagine, I told one or two things that she asked, but you can imagine her mind must have been a whole whirl of questions and wondering what all this meant. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn with me, please, to that passage in Luke chapter 1. Verses 26 to 38. I was talking to Lynn during the week and just said to her, uh, she asked me a question, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, 
surprise. Just surprise me. Now, that's probably quite a safe thing that way. Uh, if, if I'd asked Lynn what she, what she wanted and she said a surprise, I think she would be worried. If I said, don't worry, I'll get you a surprise, she might not appreciate the air fryer or something I would end up coming up with. But I can trust Lynn to come up with a, a, a good and wonderful gift. No pressure on you now. Um, but surprise, it, it was always part of our Christmas, I suppose, when the children were, early, were, were younger. But as they grow up and as they get older, surprise seems to sort of just drift out of Christmas, doesn't it? Um, they soon know what they want, and uh, nowadays the list is usually, well, it's given to you, here's what we want, here's the size, here's the colour, there's the link, you can go on and order it, it'll be here by next day. Sometimes they've even tried it on or they've used it before, so they tell us exactly what they want. But I'm sure um, all of us still like a wee surprise at Christmas. Maybe it's a surprise gift. Maybe it's a surprise text from someone you haven't heard from for a long time. Maybe a surprise visit, although sometimes they're not always that welcome surprise visits, depending. Uh, maybe a surprise card or a, or a surprise call. But surprise really should be part of Christmas because it's there and, and the whole sort of Christmas story is jam-packed and rammed full of surprise. And maybe even surprise is maybe too soft a word. It's surprise and shock as well in Christmas. And sometimes we miss it because we're so familiar, especially if you've been around the church for any length of time and the Christmas story and the shepherds and the angels and, and baby Jesus and and, and we sort of heard it all. And somehow we sort of lose that sense of surprise at what God was actually doing at that Christmas time and in this story. So we're going to consider a wee bit about Mary's experience here along that sort of theme, looking at the surprises in this passage. And the first one, verses 26 to 28, one is to think about God's surprising choice. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. God sent Gabriel. I mean, Christmas is sometimes considered a busy time for ministers. When you read the story, Gabriel seems to have been pretty busy as well. He doesn't seem to have much rest over the Christmas period. He'd been to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now he's come to Mary. We don't know who the angel was that spoke to Joseph in a dream. May well have been Gabriel as well. But Gabriel is sent by God. And he's sent not to Jerusalem. He's not sent to Rome. He bypasses all the powers of all the centers of power and wealth and influence. And he comes to, to Galilee. And he comes to this town called Nazareth, a tiny little dot on the map. A town that you would probably never have heard of if it wasn't for Jesus. A bit like Uddingston in a way. Not, not that Uddingston is known for Jesus, if only. But you ever been on holiday and yeah, people say, where do you come from? And you say, Uddingston. And they just look at you blankly. 
And you can either say, well, we're just near Glasgow, or what we tend to say is tannocks, caramel wafers, tea cakes, and oh, and their eyes sort of light up. Nazareth would be an unknown little backwater if it wasn't for Jesus. A small Jewish community, probably 200 to 400 people, made up of farmers and probably tradesmen. And Gabriel goes into this place in the middle of nowhere, goes into one home, and there he finds this young girl called Mary. He says she's a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, I'm sure you all know the idea of being pledged. Here's this young girl, if you want to think of an engagement, but much more binding than that, of course. Mary uh, probably would be, estimates vary, from between 12 and 15, round about that sort of age, certainly in her early teens. And she's pledged she had a binding commitment to Joseph made already. It was a commitment that you couldn't just break off. These days, you can just send a text to break an engagement. It's dead easy if you want to do it that way. This was a different kettle of fish completely. It could be broken off only via divorce or if the, the, the bridegroom-to-be died, the, the, the bride would be considered a widow. Such was the binding nature of this betrothal. This betrothal would last about a year. They'd both be in their separate homes. And then after about a year or so, the bridegroom would come and take the bride-to-be to his home and to welcome in and they'd have a hoopah and they'd have their party and they'd have their meal together and then their wedding would be consummated at that time. So she's a virgin and she's pledged to be married. She's a young girl, maybe 12, 13, 14, 15, something around that age. And Gabriel comes to her with this message. They the angel Gabriel went to her and said, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you, Mary. That term, highly favored, simply means, it means grace. The root of that word is, is about God's grace. Mary, you, you, you're, you're the object of God's grace and, and God's favor. The Lord is with you, Mary. And it's that message. It doesn't seem to be the appearance of the angel that shocks Mary, although we don't really know what that would be like. But it's the words, Mary was greatly troubled. That means she was disturbed and she was afraid. At the words, she couldn't make sense of this grief. How on earth can I be highly favored? How can this angel possibly say, the Lord is with me? Look at me. Look where I live. Look how old I am. I'm a no one living in a no place village. And yet the angel comes and says, Mary, God is for you. God has put his grace upon you. God is with you. And God is calling you into his redemptive plans and purposes and giving you this incredible role to play. Seems unbelievable, perhaps, to Mary. But in a sense, we shouldn't be surprised that God calls and God speaks to this very ordinary young girl. 
It shouldn't surprise us because that's the way in which God acts time and time again. The whole Christmas story, if you look at the larger picture, is full of this, isn't it? The shepherds are called, given the message. And you've got these strange characters from the east, you know, non-Jews, all invited and brought into the story. God makes surprising choices. And we're not told anything about Mary as to her virtues or her vices. I'm sure the Lord was aware of both. Unlike, in fact, Zechariah and Elizabeth, when the angel goes to them, he, both of them were told were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments. They had a whole history of obeying God and being faithful to God, but were not told about anything like that about Mary. Her life had just begun. In human terms, what has this girl got to offer God? In human terms, not a lot. I spend my whole week basically talking to young people, encouraging them to, to work hard and to help them to find out what they need to do to get into university or get into college, and the qualifications they're going to have to get, the subjects they're going to have to pass, the grades they're going to need. If they're looking at going to get a job, I'm talking to them about, well, you're going to have to create a CV, and on this CV, you're going to have to promote yourself. You're going to highlight all your skills, all your qualities, all the things that will make you stand out as being the perfect candidate for that job and make you stand out from other people. You've really got to sell yourself and promote yourself. There's nothing like that here for Mary. That doesn't seem to be the way God works. God works in grace. Not because Mary or anyone else has all the qualifications and the skills that God is looking for. He moves in grace. You think through the, the Bible, all the people God used, the characters. Surprising, ordinary people. Initially, David. Samson, Gideon, Jesus chooses his disciples, these fishermen and revolutionaries and tax collectors, you know, people that others would be shocked at. And if you don't believe me that God uses the most surprising ordinary people, if you don't believe me, and please don't take offense at this, just look around. <laughs> and I'm not looking at anybody in particular at this point, just look around. Isn't that the way God works? Paul reminds us, doesn't he? Speaking to the church in Corinth, he says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. God in his grace comes to this ordinary woman, and God in his grace calls us as ordinary men and women and young people, calls us into his redemptive plans and purposes and gives us the amazing privilege of being part of his plans and being able to serve him in his kingdom. 
It's a very surprising choice. But then as Mary listens to the angel, she receives this surprising, I would say shocking message, mind-blowing message. Verses 31 to 33, it's there. The message actually begins to be spelled out why the angel has come to visit Mary. Mary, you've been chosen by God and you're going to have a child and you're going to give birth to a son and you don't need to worry about having a, a gender reveal party and you don't need to worry about who's going to pick the name and all of that because his name is Jesus, the Lord saves, the one who's going to save his people from their sins. And this child is going to be special, Mary. He's going to be great, and he's going to be called the son of the Most High. He's going to be in a unique, special relationship with God, and he's going to be the long-awaited Messiah King that you and your people have been waiting for. He's going to be the king that's going to reign over the house of David forever and ever, a king whose kingdom will never end. And Mary's obviously confused a wee bit about this. She's wondering about it. And although he's given this amazing message that all the hopes and all the desires of God's people, Mary, all the, the longings and the waiting for, they've been waiting for hundreds of years for this coming Savior and King, and he's going to come through you now, Mary. He's given this amazing message Mary's mind seems to be on slightly more mundane things. And she asks a question, perfectly understandable. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? That's Mary's concern. Now, we sometimes imagine that the virgin birth is uh, a fairly recent problem. That we hear people say, oh, we don't believe in that sort of thing these days. Well, the problem goes way back to the announcement. Because Mary struggled to believe it. Joseph certainly struggled to believe it. And that's why Mary asked the question, how, how can this be? And the angel answers and just says, look, Mary, you're going to have a child and the child is going to be the result of the work of God's Holy Spirit moving upon you. And that child will be called the Son of God. Not much of an explanation, really, for Mary. Nothing to do with the how. How's all this going to work? You know? Uh, Mary knew it takes two to tangle. She might not have known about X and Y chromosomes, but she knew this was inconceivable. This was unbelievable. An angel simply says, this is what's going to happen, Mary. Not much about the how, but what? God's going to be at work in your life. The Spirit's going to move upon you. And you're going to conceive a child. And that child will be the Son of God. That child is going to be unique. That child is going to be God, divine, and human, brought together in your very womb, Mary. The Savior and the King of God's people and of this world. That was the basic answer. It might not satisfy us, but it's the answer that's given. And there's a, there's a unique mystery here. It wasn't the case like John the Baptist, who was got a natural man who's going to be filled with the Spirit, so the angel told Zechariah. This is in a completely different league. 
God was going to be involved in the very conception. His own son born of a woman. As John would later put it, the word of God who was with God and was God, the word through whom and by him all things were created, takes on human flesh and makes his home amongst us. Divine and human nature brought together. An unprecedented event. That word, unprecedented. You've heard it over the last two years, two and a half years. It's been used constantly. Sometimes I think as an excuse for things that have not quite worked out as people had hoped or politicians. And all we heard was, well, we're in unprecedented times. This was an unprecedented event. The incarnation that lies at the heart of Christmas. C.S. Lewis says, it's the grand miracle, the one we so easily lose sight of in the light of all the hubbub that fills our Christmas season. And as we read these words in, in Luke's gospel, Luke, want, Luke wants to make it clear, crystal clear in this message to Mary, that this child, the, the the most important thing is not this, how can a virgin have a baby and how would all that work inside, all that stuff. That's not the point. The point is who the child is. The Son of God, the Savior and the King. The King whose majesty is expressed in the meekness of his coming, his birth and his life whose kingship is expressed in service as he grows up and gives his life as a ransom for many. And that's what lies at the heart of this message and the message of Christmas. And we've got all sorts of other stuff all round about Christmas. And even as Christians, if we're honest, we get caught up with it all, we've got things to do, all the rest of it. And somehow we lose and we miss the surprise, this unprecedented act of God, the creator of the world entering into his creation in order to save, redeem, and renew. And that's what we need, isn't it? That's what we need this Christmas. What use is it if Jesus is a man naturally born to a joiner in Nazareth? who grows up and begins to give out lovely teaching and says wonderful things, does a few surprising things, but ends up in a grave in Palestine. A cul-de-sac to all his promises and all our expectations. Another writer, a guy called Michael Spencer, says this, without the incarnation, Christianity isn't even a very good story. And most sadly, it means nothing. Be nice to one another is not a message that can give my life meaning or assure me of love beyond brokenness and break open the dark doors of death with the key of hope. The incarnation can do all these things. God help us never to lose that at the heart of Christmas. That's the message. 
that Jesus comes as saviour and king, comes as someone to be reckoned with, who causes us to worship him, to submit before him and trust in him, just as Mary actually does. Because we go on and look at her response, which is totally surprising when you think about it. She utters those amazing words. The angel gives her a wee boost of faith. In verses 36, he says, look, all of this stuff we're telling you, Mary, but please remember, be aware that Elizabeth, your relative, that that old relative of yours who you know was way past childbearing age, she's now in her sixth month of pregnancy. God's been at work there. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary responds, and she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And in those amazing words, that marvelous response, instead of praying, Lord, thy will be changed, Mary prays, Lord, thy will be done. And she reveals a servant heart and a submissive will to that which God asks of her. And we hear this again and we think, so easy, that's Mary, (laughs) dead easy. Must have been simple for her. And yet when you read the passage, you read about fear and you read about Mary being troubled and and wondering and full of questions. And yet Mary goes on. She has God's word, the promise of his presence, the promise of his power. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. The spirit of a servant and a submissive will, saying yes, yes to God, yes to Jesus. Although she didn't fully understand everything, she didn't have all her questions answered. And if, you, if, you, if you're waiting to have all your questions answered and to understand everything before responding to God and saying yes to Jesus, then I'm afraid I think you'll be waiting <laughs> a long, long time. Mary didn't have all the answers, but she said yes. She didn't know what what the future was going to hold, but she knew something was happening and her future would never be the same again. She didn't know what road she was going to go down, but she said yes. As God came and began to shape her life for the future, She submitted her life to him, although all her plans had been disrupted. She's probably planning to marry Joseph, have some children, live in Nazareth. It was all mapped out for her. It would be. And here comes God disrupting, interrupting in the ordinary daily life that Mary has and sets her on a a different path as he brings her into his plans and purposes. She says yes at great cost. And what we miss here is the courage of this young girl. And please remember, we're talking about a young teen. Maybe reminds us the young people we have, how God can often speak to young people. And sometimes young people can show the most amazing spiritual insight, as Mary does here. Because Mary would know, (laughs) 
Imagine going around telling people, oh, I've just seen an angel, and I'm now pregnant, by the way, but there was no roaming. There's nobody else involved, no Roman soldier, none of the neighbors. It was just God. And Mary would know how that story would be received. It would be an utter scandal. And the little reputation that she had would be gone, and it would be in the mud, and it would be trampled under. And she would live with the scent of scandal throughout the rest of her life. What would her parents say? Oh, this angel came and spoke to me. God, you know, that story. What's that conversation which she had to have with Joseph? She'd be accused of adultery, and in theory, that you could be stoned to death. They very rarely carried it out, but you could have been stoned to death because she'd be considered to be an adulteress. Matt Hancock, the politician, if you're all aware of Matt Hancock, has just released his diaries, etc. And he talks about, a, he made a wee statement about when his affair with his aide was being made clear. He said, I needed to tell my wife it was the worst conversation of my life. I think Mary would have an even worse conversation with Joseph trying to explain to the community the word would be out, she's pregnant. What a tramp. <laughs> I wonder whose it is. In a small community, once the bump's showing, she'd have to live with that the rest of her life. And although Mary knew that as we discover from her song, when she goes to meet Elizabeth, and then she creates that lovely, magnificent song. She rejoices in all God has done for her, the privilege and the joy that lies before her in her role. She also knows that that child is now is going to pierce her heart. And she knows that there's going to be pain involved in saying yes to Jesus as well, and saying yes to God's will for her life. She's a remarkable, remarkable young lady, Mary, to make that response. And at Christmas, we can marvel at her response. But I wonder if this Christmas, this Advent time, we would allow Mary to challenge us, to challenge you and to challenge me, and to take time to think about our attitudes to Jesus. Would the Lord find in us a servant heart, a submissive will. Not just about giving him a wee bit of room, no, no room at the end and all this for Jesus. Let's find a bit of room for Jesus to add into our lives. But willing to serve and submit our whole lives to him whatever his will is for us. Even when in his grace he comes and saying yes to him is going to disrupt our plans and maybe take us into a place where we're not too sure what he's asking of us or what he's asking us to do. But we know things won't be the same. Disrupts our ambitions, challenges our pride, our independence, the desire to be in control, to be in charge of the schedule. What comes next? Recognizing that our greatest joy and our fulfillment comes 
from having that servant heart and submissive will and giving our lives into his hands. Even if we've still got some questions, we're still a bit unsure what that will mean, where it will lead, even if it's costly, but we do so because he is Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God, the Savior and Lord, who offers us his presence and his power and the promise of his word. Are you willing to be and do what he asks you to be and do and to play your part in his kingdom and his work, whatever that may be? Mary was asked to do something unique and special. But God calls us all by his grace and mercy to serve him in some way. Maybe this morning, by God's grace, he would help us and enable us to respond like Mary, with a servant's heart and a submissive will, saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Amen.